It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you. The Monday after the weekend that was. Uh, plenty of uh, things to talk about this morning, including some uh, super rugby, of course. Uh, the round robin part of it is done and dusted. And Justin Marshall, of course, uh, former All Black great and Sky commentator, will be with us very shortly to talk about uh, what he saw and what he expects coming up now that the uh, playoff draws have been finalised. Uh, just after 9.30 this morning, David Turner coming to us. Uh, he's a motorsport commentator. He was at... Uh, Indianapolis 500. Uh, Scott Dixon, of course, starting on pole. Didn't work out for the Kiwi boys. And a a crash, too, for Scott McLaughlin, but uh, walked away with just a bruised ego. So good news there, but not so good on the result front. And we'll talk about that with uh, David Turner just after 9.30. Uh, Jacob Spoonley with us uh, just after 10 o'clock to talk all things football. Uh, Liverpool over the weekend uh, losing to Real Madrid, the final of the A-League. Uh, all sorts of stuff coming up as well with the uh, All-Whites uh, playoff games just around the corner. A panel with Jamie Wall and James Regan. Uh, and then uh, after uh, 11 o'clock, yep, it'll be Vossi in his normal slot to talk about the weekend in the NRL. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, predictably, a little bit of fallout after the naming of the White Ferns uh, contract list late last week, which revealed four stalwarts of the game getting the flick. That's a pretty sizable clean-out, but not totally unexpected that there would be scapegoats for a lacklustre World Cup performance. It wasn't knee-jerk, it was considered over an extended period of time, and that is perhaps the right course. But when you leave out a player of Amy Satterthwaite's stature and previous performances in the game, you have to be damn sure you've made the right call and that you have made the right people make that call. I mean, how can you not have the incoming coach on the panel making the decision? And more importantly, how can you have the failed outgoing coach anywhere near the decision-making? Bob Carter simply could not get the job done with the group during the World Cup. They played themselves in and out of winning opportunities more often than not, and their record under his tutelage was very poor indeed. And I would imagine there were relationship issues around what he was doing, that should not reflect in the thinking going forward, but probably have. The incoming coach surely has to rubber stamp the players going forward he or she wants to work with to have at their disposal. Imagine if he or she liked what Frankie Mackay produced during the World Cup as our best fighter. Uh, Recognised it wasn't vintage Satterthwaite or Tahutu during those five weeks, but didn't think it warranted being thrown on the scrap heap after years of good service. I mean, seriously, was Susie Bates a raging success? No, and we still haven't heard why premium spinner Lee Kasparuk, another victim, didn't even get a go on our home stage. Seems to me the cart was before the horse in all of this. Coach first, contract next was the order of the business. It was the other way around. This is your group. Coach, now get on with it. It just doesn't seem right. 
Uh, the door, we are told, is not closed on those who stood last week. I'm picking it might be a little further open than we all suspect when the new boss finally steps in. What's the difference? Hell of a drop goal there from Zahn Sullivan under a pressure situation to get the Blues up 20-17 to 17 over the Waratahs to maintain that amazing winning run that they now take into the playoffs this weekend. Uh, joining us now to talk about that action over the weekend and uh, what's coming forward in first uh, weekend of playoffs, Woody, is, uh, of course, Justin Marshall, former great All Black and uh, Sky commentator as well. Justin, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Smithy. Well, what a weekend of Super Rugby it was, I must say. Holy moly. That would have upset quite a few multis and uh, tipping competitions because there were some unpredictable results in there. Oh, look, uh, there were. I mean, uh, who would have at any stage thought Moana Pacifica could knock over the Brumbies? But they did, and what a great finale for their season. Absolutely was. It was a fairy tale finish for them, really, because they have had some really heartbreaking moments throughout the season. Uh, they've been in the fight for, for a lot of games, and obviously, when you think about their dynamic, the thing that really let them down this year was their line-out more defence, uh, and, and in general, a platform that they found difficult to have the whole season. But they always had the flair, the razzle-dazzle in them, and when they could get in the fight and stay in games, um, they were capable of winning them. A couple of great upsets, beating the Hurricanes and the Brumbies in that last game, um, I think just put a fitting little finish to their to, to what was a really uh, rewarding effort for them in their first year of Super. Oh hell yeah! I mean, you know, you, you just look forward to what might happen and and with them and the draw perhaps. Now that uh, they've they've done what they had to do, they've got credibility. I, I think it's fair to say they've got cred out of the season, haven't they? And that might just mean other players want to play for them as well. I certainly think it's so in both cases. You know, the, the drawer as well. You know, what a, an absolute spectacle for the game that was in Latoka. Uh, and even their game up in Suva uh, against the Highlanders was just a great advocate for how the game can grow in other areas apart from New Zealand and Australia. The uh, injection of both of those sides uh, this season have been amazing. They've shown that they're not getting 50, 60 points, put them on the, at the weekend, and they can compete. So uh, really, really successful seasons for both of them. Obviously, they'd like to perform better, but, you know, it takes time to learn the process, to learn how the attrition uh, of this competition can affect you to manage your squad. Um, they need to grow more depth. There's no doubt about that. But like you say, hopefully their performances will, A, retain some of the superstars that they've got in their teams and they don't get, their, you know, get their, those players leaving um, for overseas contracts because they perform so well. And then, B, uh, if those players stay other players uh, take up the opportunity to go play for one of those sides. Let's go back to uh, Friday night, which was uh, effectively the start of the weekend. The Crusaders 28, the Reds 15. At times, the Crusaders looked vintage, and then at times, they didn't. They just uh, fell off the pace a wee bit. And on top of that, 
They lost Pablo Montero, who has been cleared to play in the playoffs. So a couple of issues to talk about there. Yeah, absolutely. Like, obviously, they did lose Pablo Matera with that yellow card, and then they had to sort of see whether or not there's going to be any further uh, repercussions of his actions. Uh, fortunately for them, um, what was deemed to be uh, penalised on the field was enough of a penalty, given the, the, the crime. So he's able to now be cleared to play, which is great news for them. Um, certainly, by, certainly by what... Scott Robertson uh, said to us after the game um, in his post-match interview and the players to a degree it wasn't a vintage performance it, 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 at times he felt that they were just sort of cruising through the game and, and couldn't really find the second gear when they needed it but they always had the game under control, I don't think he ever really thought that the Reds were going to win that game um, a game filled of a lot of kicking and a lot of mistakes, so I would imagine that both teams will sit down review their performances and given that it's knockout next Friday night when they face each other again and they've obviously just played each other um, that will get a much better quality game. Um, I'm sure that that'll be the case come Friday. Do you read much into the fact that uh, the Hurricanes and Highlanders of course both got through uh, the Highlanders by the skin of uh, their teeth really, uh, lost the sides to, that uh, aren't playing in the playoffs. Do we read anything to that or, that, or do we just look at uh, the, the sides that they picked and perhaps that they were just pacing themselves through because the Highlanders, I don't think, could ever have afforded to do that. No, they couldn't have. And, and there's nothing like having a bit of momentum and confidence going into knockout rugby because, you know, you need to make sure that what you're executing on the field, the way that you're playing, the shape that you're playing, the pattern, you're all feeling confident that that's good enough to win rugby games for you. So when you're scraping your way through on bonus points and losing games, it creates self-doubt, and why wouldn't it? And so, look, I don't think those results will help either one of those sides. Um, I certainly think that uh, the, the momentum that they should be taking into quarterfinals has been lost, and it'll take a lot of hard mental attitude this week from the coaches to get the players into a headspace uh, that they can go out there and, and win, win a rugby game that they should be winning. Because both of those sides should have comfortably won those games at the weekend with their pedigree, the players that they've got. They were clear favourites in both instances and they let themselves down. So, yeah, that, that, that um, is really disappointing from, from both of those sides and now they've got a face going into a game off the back of a loss, which I don't think is healthy. OK, so just before we look at what's coming up, can we... Can we safely say that uh, Australian sides and uh, have closed the gap this year, or, or do we not say that yet? I think we can safely say it, Smithy, but I, I think what I'd be concerned about if I was those Australian franchises, and in particular Dave Rennie, who, who will be casting his eye over the performances, he would have been really pleased with what he saw in the first two rounds when, we, when the amalgamation happened. Really competitive, you know, Waratahs tipping up the Crusaders, the Brumbies sticking along nicely. Um, the Reds, probably the one team that sort of fell away, but in general, in general, had really lifted their competitiveness uh, and, and they were looking good. Since then, when the pressure's come on and, and must win games have happened, they've gone, gone missing. And I think, you know, that, that, that's what happens on the big stage and big environment and test matches, you know, when you want your big players stepping up. Well, let's use the Brumbies for example. 11 Wallabies. And when they've needed to win games, a big game against Crusaders at home, 
a game against Moana Pacifica at the weekend to take momentum into the competition. Apart from the performance against the Chiefs, they've gone missing. Mm. And you might look at them saying, yeah, OK, they've made some progress in terms of their skill set, their physicality, their competitiveness. But when it comes down to the crunch, they, they've gone missing. And, and I'd be really, really worried about that because that's a big game environment where you need experience, international players stepping up and getting the job done. Let's look at uh, the first up game this weekend then, and it's uh, a repeat. Uh, Crusaders against the Reds. It's been 21 years uh, since Brad Thorne and uh, Razor have played alongside each other uh, for the Crusaders. 21 years. So uh, here they are uh, against each other back-to-back Friday night. Do you see the Reds being able to turn it round in that space of time? Um, in a word, no. I think they are a side that is capable of putting the Crusaders under pressure. Um, up front, I thought they actually, uh, throughout the course of the game, were quite competitive, which surprised me. I thought the Crusaders would flex their muscles and bully them off the park. But in general, they had put quite a good platform. They didn't get the ball into the hands of Vunivalu and Pattaya, some of their key strike players, uh, X-Factor players, enough in that game. I expect Brad Thorne will overlook the game plan from last weekend ago. Crusaders' defence really stifled us. They shut them down 10 to 15 metres either side of the ruck and they couldn't get those players into the game. So expect them to be in the game a lot more. If they're going to push the Crusaders and put themselves into a position uh, to try and win the game, they'll need those players in the game more. I'm not sure what the situation with James O'Connor is, but if he comes back, he will make a massive difference to their DNA and the way that the way that the game's controlled. They'll be competitive, Smithy, but in general, when you look across both sides and the Crusaders being at home in their conditions, they'll fall short the Reds, I think. Saturday, 4.35 game. Chiefs, Waratahs, Michael Hooper once again coming over to New Zealand soil to try and upset the apple cart. Hasn't had a great record at doing it. What about this weekend? To me, mate, the Waratahs are actually a better side when they're away from Sydney, to be perfectly honest. I don't mm. know why, but they seem to have, they seem to galvanise a bit better. I think they they do get tighter when they're faced with a bit of adversity, and adversity is going to try and win a game in Hamilton against the Chiefs, um, who, who are looking much better, uh, given they've got the likes of Brodie Retallick back. Um, you know, they, they had a hell of a battle in Latoka. Like, I wouldn't wish that game on my mother-in-law, to be perfectly honest. So the fact they managed to get through there reasonably unscathed, they'll just take that result and move on. It's not an easy task, and many teams would have struggled in that environment. So they'll be pleased with what they got out of that game, and it really did, at times, look like they were uh, in total control of that match. So, yeah, it's a difficult ask for the Waratahs, but, you know, they've got the firepower. They've got a really good game pattern. They When they get their strength, into the game, which is their loose forwards, the likes of Gamble, as you mentioned, Hooper playing well. Um, Parisi, I'm not sure where he is, but if he gets back into the centres, they're capable. That, that's possibly the game of the weekend, that one. OK, uh, look forward to that. I also look forward to... I always look forward to uh, Otago teams, the Highlanders, travelling to Eden Park because they just seem to find something up there over the years. But um, have, have they the ability to find enough to beat this pretty hot Blues team? On current evidence, no. Uh, they're going to have to find something different, something special. I'm not sure where they sit 
with Matt Chung, I believe that he's going to be touch and go for the weekend. I certainly think that they need to obviously be at, at as full strength as they possibly can be. Uh, I do fear that they're lacking um, some, some real genuine finish, finishes out wide. Um, you know, they've got good, solid players out there, but when you look at the Blues back three, you know, it's horses for courses. So, yeah, they're going to have to... Well, well, put it this way, Tony Brown is going to have to sit down and go, righto, boys, Eden Park against a team that's absolutely on fire. What we have been doing has not been working. What we're going to have to do is this. He's going to have to come up with a piece of genius in terms of a game plan that the Blues and Leon McDonald are not expecting and absolutely throw the kitchen sink at this game. Why not? They've got absolutely nothing to lose. They shouldn't be in the quarterfinals. They don't deserve to be there, losing as many games as they have. They've been given a massive lifeline by the structure of the competition. So just go out there and throw something at the Blues they have not seen this year because Tony Brown, with his coaching genius, is capable of producing something like that. I look forward to it. Yeah, I look forward to that, that game as well. Uh, I also look forward to uh, the Hurricanes popping over to Canberra. They might not, but it's always a tough proposition there against the Brumbies, who I, I just can't get a read on the Brumbies. As you said, against the Chiefs, I thought they were, they were a real possibility to wrap this thing up. All of a sudden, I, I don't see that. And the same group of, uh, of, of Brumbies players, really well coached. Yeah, a couple of really top coaches I've got with them. Dan McKellar, of course, Laurie Fisher, who's been around since the arc. Um, but... But uh, I just wonder whether they're, they're keeping their powder dry a wee bit and, and they have got something left. One word springs to mind when I think about them at the moment, Mizzy, and that's fragile. I think they're, yeah. they're mentally uh, in a really bad headspace. And, and why wouldn't they be? You know, that must have been a, a huge blow to their ego getting beaten um, on, on, on the weekend by Minor Pacifica. Uh, a game that they were probably looking just to get their ship back um, on a straight on a straight and narrow line, and uh, they found themselves terribly wanting and were comprehensively beaten. So mentally, you know, they, they won't be in a great headspace. Um, the Hurricanes, obviously, you will expect a response after that result. Uh, you get you get Artie Savia back in the starting jersey, um, you know, Geordie Barrett back in the mix, and... You know, the, the Hurricanes are one of those sides that you just do not want to meet. Do not want to meet if, if you're just like the Blues sitting at the top of the table. You don't want to be playing them in a quarterfinal. So, equally, the Brumbies won't want to be playing them in Canberra. I, I, I believe with the state that the Brumbies are in at the moment that the Hurricanes will win that match. There you go. I'll put my... Oh, no, I won't put that on it. I'll just beat you there. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> no, you still need, that. You still need those. Uh, here's the thing. Um... I just think now, this is traditionally the time the All Black selectors say they're really interested in current form because Ireland series just around the corner. They've always said they really start looking in earnest around about playoff time. Uh, if you had to pick out one or two players under the most pressure, the incumbents, perhaps perhaps who would they be? In the, in the forwards, in the type five or further afield? Um, I certainly think um, quite possibly at halfback. Um, you know, Aaron Smith is obviously a bit of a victim of the way that the Highlanders have been playing. And you look at the injection that Al-Fakataba made when he came into the match yesterday. Uh, the former Finley Christie and Brad Weber at the moment. Um, I don't doubt the pedigree of Aaron Smith and his competitiveness and how good he can be. But at the moment, the All Black selectors must be just a little bit concerned at the way he's idling along. Uh, 
I, I certainly think um, that's something for them to consider. Not that his position's under threat in the team, but you know, you want him playing well in, in an all-black machine. If it's going to be functioning like it needs to against a good Irish side, you want your number nine in tip-top shape playing great rugby. And at the moment, he's not quite there. Um, uh, up front, uh, certainly the front row, I think. You know, like, obviously, Tuanuku uh, Afe is away. Um, and we, we, we have to evolve up front. And we certainly have to make sure that we are keeping up with the style that the props and the rest of the world are playing. And, um, you know, you look at the situation now with Joe Moody out. You know, where are they going to go? What direction are they going to head? Are they going to be heading down the pathway of going for Owen Franks, who's a great scrummager and you know, does the hard work? Or are they going to think of a mindset of conceding a little bit up front in terms of power, front row scrummaging, and get all playing um, multi-skilled props into the mix and we completely change the dynamic of the way our front row is played? That's a challenge that I'm really looking forward to the all-black selectors uh, grabbing a hold of and seeing what they come up with. Justin Marshall, as always, great to catch up with you, mate. Hope to do so uh, in person at the weekend and uh, look forward to that Crusaders-Reds uh, game to kick it all off on Friday night. Have a great week, mate. We'll catch up soon. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Smithy. Take care, mate. Yeah, cheers. Justin Marshall there with his thoughts on what transpired over the weekend and uh, what is to come up. Uh, and uh, also interesting thoughts there on uh, the halfback form. I found that particularly interesting. Just where is Fokatava at? Does anyone know? Uh, is he available as yet? Does he qualify? Gee, I hope so. 9.23 here on SENZ. Well, I can tell you uh, at 9.28 that Stephen Olker is playing a hell of a round of golf today. He's just birdied uh, hole number 16. He's eight under for the day. He leads the senior, the champions to a major, this is a major, the PGA, uh, by two shots with two holes to go from Stephen Ames. So incredible golf that this guy's been playing in the last six months could come to fruition in terms of a major. $630,000 is uh, the prize money if he wins it. Uh, he gets a lifetime exemption to this particular tournament. Lifetime, uh, 10-year exemptions to the US Senior Open. I mean, there's just so much uh, riding on this for Stephen Elka. Uh, such a nice bloke doing such great things. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that over the next few minutes. Uh, why did they give contact contracts out without a coach? So who picks the team? Just don't understand it. Well, Brett, we know uh, who picked the team. It was the former coach, uh, the high-performance manager. I think the CEO might have had a bit of input and the current selection panel as well also had input. But uh, the new coach, and we still officially don't know who that is, uh, we'll just have to take what he's got. But that doesn't rule out those people uh, that have been left out. It's just that, you know, if we had a kept... Uh, if we had a kept Amy Satterthwaite, then perhaps, um, you know, we're on a contract anyway, uh, we might have had her available, but uh, she's retired. But uh, retirements do change from time to time. Uh, it's 9.30 here. We've got motor racing coming up uh, in the next half hour. here on SENZ, the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500. Saw Kiwi Scott Dixon starting in pole position, but it did not, unfortunately, end that way for him. A penalty on the 175th lap put an end to his chances of winning the great race for the second time in his illustrious IndyCar career. Uh, In the end, 200 laps after it began, well, sort of 200 laps anyway, of motor racing, 
It was Sweden's Marcus Eriksson to the to the fore. Uh, he was the one that uh, got over the brick yard uh, in first position and was able to chug the milk as part of the ceremony uh, at the end of it. Uh, joining us now from Indiana is uh, Kiwi motorsport expert David Turner on the spot. David, uh, welcome on in. Was it the greatest spectacle in racing? Yeah, you're still there. I'm not sure if you can hear us at all. Yeah, we well, got you, David, loud and clear. I can hear you. Uh, there's no problem about that. You're, you're lucky enough to be there. Uh, they said before it's the greatest spectacle in racing. Did, did you find it that way this time around? Honestly, yeah, and if I was really, really honest, I thought that the race itself was not one of the better races. It was kind of a little bit uh, processional. Uh, still a great race, don't get me wrong. Absolutely great race. Um, but, yeah, it just it was one of those ones that kind of seemed to just go through the motions, and, and really it wasn't until that last quarter of the race when things really started to happen that we saw it you know, develop into ultimately how it played itself out. Let's look at, um, first of all, the atmosphere. The fans were back this year. They looked like they were into it uh, from the television pictures anyway. Yeah, look, um, the, the fan uh, coverage, I guess, or you know, attendance over the past week and a half here has been phenomenal. Um, the other day for a carb day was one of the bigger crowds, probably over 100,000. And today there was an excess of 350,000 for race day. I don't think it was a complete sellout, which we had in... Uh, the 100th running of the race, where it was a completely total sellout. But I do know that most of the parking areas around the surrounding the track were completely sold two days ago. So uh, there was certainly plenty of people here. I would assume that it was somewhere close to the 400,000 mark in total. Scott Dixon had pole alongside his teammate uh, Alex Pilar. What, what did you make of the, the tactics of the Chip Kanashi duo early in the race? I thought it was smart. I wondered how they were going to cope with it. And, and certainly when you run out front, you use a lot more fuel. And he had a bit of a strategy of sharing the, the fuel-saving mode. Dixon renounced for saving fuel anyway, and, and you needed to do those things. I thought VK played a very smart race by sitting in third for quite a long time because he was just stepping up, uh, getting towed along by those guys. The effect of the tow on a car you can feel from one end of the straight to the other. So it's a bit like when you're on the highway and you come up behind, you know, one of those trucks and stuff like that. It will pull you in, and that's the effect that these cars are getting around here. So when, you, when you're out front, you're cutting the coal for everyone else and the price you pay is fuel. So, yeah, they were very smart early on, and even, you know, uh, Tony Kinahan and ultimately Marcus Erickson played very, very smart, uh, and the McLaren duo did as well. David, uh, I, I, I look at the, the race and I, I watched a lot of it. Uh, Scott Dixon uh, in front for, and it looked to be quite comfortably for long periods of the race until lap 175 when he was penalised uh, for speeding in pit lane. What, what exactly happened there? Who's, who's completely at fault here? Driver only? The majority of it is going to go towards driver for sure because they have a pit lane speed limiter that they activate in the car. Uh, to stop that, and uh, he got on the button a bit late, and you know crossed the line, and it's it's a digital thing, so you there's no grey area. It's a yes or no, and it was clearly a no. So um, yeah, it, it's uh, it was not a good way for Dixon to finish that race at all. He had been very dominant in it, led 95 laps of the race. He is now the all-time lap leader of laps around this place in history. 
Uh, he passed the records of, of some great names today. Um, you know, he set the fastest qualifying time a week ago in history. Uh, he's a six-time champion, but he's still only a one-time winner of the 500. So where does he rate now uh, in terms of IndyCar drivers as such? I mean, is this one, uh, is this Brickyard Classic, is this, is this the yardstick to, to greatness? Um, look, I, I think it's parallel with championships at the end of the day. It's a bit like in our part of the woods, how you rate Bathurst or the whole touring car season in Australia. Very similar sorts of things. Everyone remembers a Bathurst winner, but sometimes they don't remember a championship winner. Um, for Dixon, yeah, a second Indy 500 would have really put some serious ink in the record books, but he's got serious ink there by the number of records that he has broken, and one can never take those away. And the laps led one, it will be a very long time before someone surpasses that as well. So, it, it, you know, if it was to all end tomorrow, then he goes away in history as one of the all-time greats of IndyCar, and he's still got more to come. There's definitely more to come. Uh, David, we uh, also saw the side of uh, Scott McLaughlin crashing up against the wall. Uh, so uh, they brought out the, cautious fl- the caution flag at that time. Yep. Walked away, he says, with just a bruised ego. Lucky man. <laughs> yeah, well, eventually yeah. it has to happen when you run around an oval. You're going to find... Uh you're going to find the big white wall that goes around the outside edge of it. Look, I thought McLaughlin's performance was outstanding. You know, he was by far the best Penske car on track up until that point. Uh, he, he'd gone from, you know, 26th starting position up to 10th in the race, and he was doing it very comfortably. Uh, so it, it was great. You know, I, I can't sing his praises enough either. It, and only a second start in the 500. Really, really good. He he was just amazed this morning. We we spent some time with him and his mum and dad and his sister and his wife all out on the grid beforehand. I talked to his dad for a while. Um, and, you know, th- this kid has got a big future in front of him as well. Um, and to be a driver in the Penske squad is something very, very special. So you, you were actually out on the grid yourself. Yeah, it's, uh, there's lots of things called tradition smithy in India, and one of the traditions that we have in our household, me and my wife, is uh, we're lucky enough through IndyCar to be out on the grid uh, before the race. So we were actually with the McLaughlins. We, we had to choose which end of the grid we were going to go to, and uh, that was the closest to where we needed to get off the track from. So we were down by the McLaughlins for a while, and uh, you know, my wife Lynn was there with me, and uh, we talked to, to Wayne and... Uh, and then we were there for the, the jet flyover, and that was kind of when we left the grid. But it's, it's, it's just absolutely mind-blowing when you look around and you see all the people. You can't help but get emotional. And I've talked to drivers so often about what goes through their head when they're sitting in the car and they see all those people. And mm. it's, it, it, it just drains you of emotion like you wouldn't even expect it to. I would imagine if you went from cockpit to cockpit, you'd find a lot of emotions and a lot of different emotions going through from the experienced drivers who have been there, done that, know the surroundings, know the atmosphere, to the new boys on the block uh, who are either rookies or having their seven, uh, second season at it, like Scott McLaughlin. But it must be a, just an amazing thing to know in front of, what, 300,000 people, you're going to be racing at those breakneck speeds uh, and you don't quite know what's going to unfold. Well, no, you don't. One of the biggest things that comes into play, which you know people who have watched it on television might be able to relate to, is the fact that the last week and a half we've been here for practice and qualifying, 
And other than the qualifying days, the practice days have been fairly light in terms of attendance. So it's it's an area of just grey, empty grandstands. So from the driver's point of view, everything is grey. And then come today, especially, the turn into turn one becomes this coloured wall of all these people in all these different coloured clothing. And it, it, I've talked to drivers for many, many years about this, and they say you have to make sure that that doesn't distract you from where your eyeline is supposed to be because you're so used to it being grey and then all of a sudden it's just the sea of colour. But the actual, you know, your eyeline is completely different, but it can become a major distraction. Well, Chip Ganassi did get to uh, stand on, alongside his uh, motor racing car and go up on the famed lift and celebrate and drink some milk as well. But it wasn't <laughs> perhaps with his the driver, perhaps the driver he thought it was going to be. It was Marcus Ericsson, which was a bit of a surprise for a lot of people. Uh, tell us a wee bit about the, the new Indy winner. Well, Ericsson came from Formula One. He, he drove for Alpha for quite a long time in Formula One and came over a few years ago to IndyCar. Um, Swedish pedigree always was highly rated. Uh, and, you know, I think the thing this, this year more than we've seen in the past was five Ganassi cars. They were all actually capable of winning. They all qualified inside the top 12, which is more than any other team was able to achieve, especially the powerhouse teams like Penske and Andretti. Um, and Ericsson just delivered a good job. He drove a very smart race. Um, the thing inside Ganassi that you've got to remember is all five cars raced to their own plan. They, they race as a team for sure, but they race to their own plan, their own strategy, and uh, that unfolds accordingly. And I spoke with Tony Pinan two days ago, and I said, look, if it comes down to the last five laps and it's a battle between you and Scott Dixon, what happens there? And he goes... We're on our own. We're on our own, so long as we don't take each other out. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And just uh, before we let you go, they're back into it very quickly. Detroit this weekend, is that true? Yeah, they get, so uh, Detroit is uh, well. The practice of Detroit on Friday, uh, and then race on Saturday up there. Last time on the street course at Bell Island, then the circuit will move to downtown Detroit from next year onwards. It's a Roger Penske promoted thing. Belle Isle is a beautiful uh, circuit set on a waterway between Canada and the US, actually. So one part of the circuit is almost technically speaking in Canada. Um, it's, yeah, it's an interesting circuit. It's very bumpy, very, very bumpy, very unforgiving. Um, but yeah, the teams, they turn around, they're out of here tonight. They'll all be out of here in probably two to three hours from now. Uh, and they begin the trek to uh, Detroit on Wednesday. David Turner, absolute pleasure catching up with you, sir, uh, and uh, jealous, jealous that you're uh, on the spot, particularly on the grid as well. I'd, I'd just love to be there. Um, thank you so much for your update on uh, the Indianapolis 500, 106 running over this morning, won by Marcus Erickson. Travel safe. Uh, thank you very much. Now, you're very welcome, Smithy. chat with you again. Been a long time. Yeah. Yeah, cheers. David Turner there. Amazing. Just amazing. Imagine being out there alongside. Only 33 cars, 11 rows, 33 cars because of the size of the track, and that's the history of the race. 33 cars, and you're out there seconds, literally seconds, uh, before the engines start and they're underway. Brilliant stuff. Uh, 9.44 here on SENZ. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 8833 is our text number. Of course, our phone number is 0800 150 811. Uh, and we'll be uh, reintroducing, of course, the Chemist Warehouse $50 voucher tomorrow morning. So if you've got something you 
you'll want to get off your chest uh, tomorrow morning just after 9.30. You could be in the draw to win that. Uh, double eight, double three, our text number, as I just said, and uh, we've had a few come in uh, already this morning. Uh, Reese has cleared something up for me. Uh, Reese from Dunedin. Yes, Fokatava is eligible. World Rugby gave him the all clear a week or so ago. Surely it means he's going to get picked because why else would NZR apply to have him available? Personally, I'd have him in with Smith and Christie with Weber fourth in line. Uh, at the top of their game, they're four pretty damn good halfbacks, aren't they, to be fair? Uh, you know, they really are. I'd no mention of uh, TJ Perinara in your lot either. Uh, Reese. I just wonder if he's still in the thinking. Uh, so interesting, yeah. Uh, Fakatava, what he's been able to do off the bench in particular uh, has just been quite uh, quite staggering, the, the the difference he tends to make with the style of play that he has and his strength over the ball, etc. So um, got to be a bolter. Fakatava, got to be. Uh, Stephen has come in and said uh, Dave Rennie really pissed off with the Rebels didn't go for the line out and seven points to try to put the force through. I'm with that too. I absolutely was with that. Maybe they were just so desperate to have a win, um, you know, that they thought to hell with that. But they could have gone seven points to try and put help their mates in Australia to get the, the force through over the Highlanders for that eighth position. I looked at that and I was slightly amazed and I wasn't surprised to see Dave Rennie or someone come out and say, what the hell's going on there? Um, fringe force players not given a chance to impress under the pressure uh, from uh, the Blues. So, you know, that, that was, to me, that was an interesting. Uh, I mentioned the name Rodder, Isaac Rodder, Kaitu'u and Ralston as three players in particular that uh, the force might have going forward into uh, the Wallabies as well. Um, we shall take a short break, and when we come back, we'll have a multi. Uh, and on the way out, we can just say, uh, are we still talking, uh, Scott says, are we still talking cricket uh, today? Absolutely. Anytime you like, Scott, you can get hold of me and talk about cricket. Yeah, not a great result for the Black Caps, um, really. Last performance, uh, you're only remembered by your last performance. Well, to get beaten by a patchwork county eleven. Not good. And using 17 players in the process, not good. Uh, it's 9.52. The voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. 9.57, and uh, our weekend multi didn't go too good because uh, I backed the Warriors, shouldn't have. Uh, I backed them to beat the Knights at $1.76. also backed Liverpool, and of course we know that they went down to Real Madrid uh, one at one ninety one. They went down 1-0, and we'll be talking uh, football after the break with Jacob Spoonley. Uh, so our multi today, the Boston Celtics to beat Miami. That's uh, Game 7 of uh, this conference playoff. Game 7, and the Celtics, I think, just to get up at $1.63. Uh, tonight, netball, the Pulse to beat the Tactics. Half-time, full-time, double I've gone there. So the Pulse to the lead at half-time and full-time, uh, $1.52. And the Seattle Sounders, Major League Soccer here to beat Charlotte at $1.50. That'll round out at $3.71. Uh, I can just tell you now that Stephen Elker is lining up around about a four-foot putt uh, on 18 uh, for par. If he makes that, he'll finish at 16 under. Uh, and I'll safely say that if he makes this, he will be the PGA senior champion this year uh, because he has a three-shot lead at the moment. So just lining up this putt, we might just have a, a chance to take us through. But uh, at stake here, he'll win 630000 US dollars. He'll get a lifetime uh, exemption into this tournament. 
Now remember, this guy's only 50 years of age. He made the putt, by the way, so he finishes at 16 under. Uh, and uh, he, he won't uh, go overboard just yet because there are other players on the course that deep down he will know he is now a major champion and that on the Champions Tour against some quality, quality opposition, he has smoked them. So uh, we've, we've talked to him, what, two times this year already? Uh, if we can't get hold of him, we'll certainly try and get a golf correspondent tomorrow morning to talk about it because this is uh, just simply sensational. Uh, and Ryan Fox, of course, if you haven't uh, heard, uh, I watched him throughout the night. He's still on the 18th tee and double bogeyed a very uh, reachable par five, which would have uh, absolutely frustrated him. Went into a playoff, played four playoff holes, and the guy he was up against, Victor Perez from France, made some of the most remarkable putts you will ever see on the important stage of important golf. That is coming up to 10 o'clock here on SCNZ, and there is football after the break. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Real Madrid are the European champions for the 14th time, and Liverpool's treble dreams are ended here in Paris. But the team that's defied the odds so many times to get here tonight has found the magic once again in the Champions League. They were written off against Paris Saint-Germain, on the way out against Chelsea, and seemingly dead and buried against Manchester City. But a team that has this love affair with this competition that's lasted for 67 years has got and won it again. Interesting there. That was uh, just a, a replay of the closing moments of Real Madrid ending Liverpool's hopes and dreams for a treble of trophies. Um, so it's been a, a really big weekend for football. Uh, massive, I, I guess, if you talk about lifting uh, uh, trophies because uh, Western United, uh, I think that was slightly against the odds, won their first ever A-League men's title after only being founded four years ago. Uh, that was a great win for, for their side. Uh, and, of course, Nottingham Forest are making their return to Premier League football for the first time since last century, 1999, by the way, just uh, right at the end of last century. But they're back now, Nottingham Forest. So uh, that is a hell of a, an achievement for a side that was floundering there for quite some time. Uh, on the line, we have uh, former all-white turned football commentator Jacob Spoonley to talk about that great weekend that was. Uh, welcome back to the show, Jacob. Uh, what was the highlight for you and the low light of those those particular results? <laughs> There's certainly a lot to cover in Good Morning City. Um, I think the highlight was probably seeing the return to Premier League for, I guess, football royalty, perhaps slightly forgotten football royalty in Nottingham Forest. So 23-year absence uh, coming to a close for them and they get to be part of the big show next year. I mean, the low light wasn't really much of one, but being a Liverpool fan, uh, unfortunately, only kind of getting 50% of the quadruple, um, coming very close, but just not being able to unpick uh, what was a masterclass from Carlo Ancelotti and Real Madrid. Yeah, so uh, yeah, let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about significance for Nottingham Forest first of all. I mean, financially, a bonanza, isn't it? I think it's something like a. Uh, I don't, I'm not quite sure. It's 150 million pounds or something just off the bat that you can start looking at in terms of the financial injection. Um, it's just so significant. And beating Huddersfield Town, who've kind of been in and around the conversation in the Premier League for the last couple of years. So a 1 0 result, finest of margins, but the most impact um, of any game in world football. What did you uh, admire most uh, about 
uh, the performance of uh, Real Madrid. You talked about the control and the game plan that they had, but their custodian at the back had a, a roiling game, didn't he? Oh, man of the match. And if you put that game in context, Smitty, so Liverpool have played every game they possibly could have over the course of this season. They won the League uh, League Cup in penalties. They won the FA Cup on penalties. They only had one point separating them from the uh, the Premier League crown. And then you go into a game against Real Madrid with the score being 1-0 and Felipe Courtois having a man-of-the-match performance. So it just indicates the mm. finest of margin that um, those results are, are kind of decided on. And I thought Liverpool probably created enough chances over the course of the game to get at least 1-1. Um, but uh, the defensive structure that Carlo Ancelotti put in place, the discipline they showed, simply getting behind the ball, keeping Liverpool in front of them, not allowing Liverpool, particularly in the likes of Thiago Alcantara, getting in between the two defensive lines, always shutting them down, and then Courtois keeping the back door closed. That was uh, just an absolutely brilliant game of football, but um, one that you got the feeling Ancelotti was so ready for and had his charges so well prepared for. So Real Madrid now are the champions of Europe for the 14th time. Um, where does that rate them in the pecking order of all time greats? I, I think they're out in front. Um, you had the likes of AC Milan that uh, were so dominant for the 90s. Liverpool also have their own claim to um, being European royalty. But Real Madrid, I think they probably are the team that um, by far and away above anyone else, including their rivals in Barcelona. I think the European Cup, now Champions League, it just has something that is so alluring to Real Madrid and they have, they've dominated the competition for large chunks. So I'm not even sure if I've got this right, Smitty, but I think it's something like four in the last seven they've won. Now, they had that wonderful run where they did the three-peat. Um, so it's, it's uh, just a competition that they just enjoy so much. So from Liverpool's point of view, you're in line, what, a month and a half ago to win four titles. Uh, you come away with two of them, uh, the Carabao Cup, of course, and the FA Cup. Uh, but I just wonder how Klopp will, will look, regard this with a 50% success rate that far out. What, what would you be thinking? We were um, at the football club yesterday and uh, there wasn't a Real Madrid supporter anywhere near there. I mean, Liverpool fans do enjoy... Uh, do enjoy that football, do enjoy European Cups, obviously. Um, and they do appreciate the fact that they've got a wonderful manager in Jurgen Klopp. So it was a pretty lively atmosphere. And I think it kind of summarised things. It was enjoy what you've got. Let's celebrate what an achievement that season was uh, as a whole. However, you're right. You've only got 50% of the trophies that um, two to three weeks ago you were hoping to get at least three. So I think that there is a bit of regret uh, in there. And uh, it's a little bit frustrating that Sadio Mane's also going to Bayern, is what I've heard as well. So they're losing part of that really dynamic front three that is part of the identity of um, of this Klopp-Liverpool team. So, yeah, I think celebrate, um, because it was such a wonderful season. At the same time, that regret does linger. Uh, we saw a lot of uh, chaotic scenes uh, on news bulletins, etc., with fans struggling to get into Stade de France. Allegations of fans hopping the fences, flares in the crowd, etc. Uh, is it just me, or is it with British football as well having to play uh, behind closed doors, England, uh, in their next match? Is it is this 
problem uh, is it resurfacing or is it always just simmering there the, this fan this fan intervention and, and the problems there yeah it's a little bit concerning particularly when you saw the scenes at um uh at everton um so when they had their pitch invasion and then obviously uh, man city as well um yeah you don't like to see uh, people climbing the fences and I think this one's a little bit um, I think this one will require investigation because you're also seeing videos come out where um, the French uh, security and stadium staff are letting people in um, without tickets uh, Andy Robertson said that he gave his mate a ticket from the allocation that Liverpool got he shows up to the ground and it said that it's a fake and that it's not scanning so he wasn't able to get into the ground so there's a, I think there's a little bit um, that needs to be investigated uh, here. And this is UEFA's uh, crown jewel. It's the, it's the best competition in the world um, from a football sense. And it was really poorly organised by the looks of things. So um, I'd say one part, uh, it's, always, it's always a minority um, in every situation. We, and that's Man City, Everton, all Liverpool. Minority fans that um, you know, bring that tarnish the record of the the whole but at the same time there were other elements to this that need to be understood because um, it did not look like a great experience all around Let's uh, turn our attention back uh, to more peaceful scenes but joyous scenes too for Western United uh, getting up uh, over Melbourne City um, and uh, the final at the weekend what did, what did you make of, of that performance and, and another very good goalkeeping performance this time by Jamie Young and another good performance by Jamie Young. So it's part of a, a thread that's happened throughout the course of this season. He's, I think he made the most saves over the course of the year. Um, he was part of a Western United um, defensive unit that was really comfortable at times. I think they started off something like six of their first seven games of 1-1-0, so throwbacks to the, the Arsenal team um, of yesteryear. Uh, Jamie Young was, I think, the foundation for this Western United team. What he brought in terms of technical ability, his saves, his form, but also the, the comfort that he gave to other players. 36 years old now, Smitty. So he's in that bracket, in that Tom Brady sort of uh, bracket where he's comfortable in himself. He knows what he is good at. He knows his strengths. He knows how he can contribute to the team and um, was a really important cog in that defensive um, structure that Western United um, really did employ to great effect. We saw it against the Phoenix. Uh, they won that game 1-0. They've only conceded um, three over the course of the final series, I believe, and that's against the Wellington Phoenix, Melbourne Victory and Melbourne City. Mm. Uh, and to emphasise that, as you touched on at the start, they're an expansion club, so they really have a very limited history. Um, and they've started almost from zero. They're doing some wonderful things off the field, planning a football centre, uh, a new stadium in Melbourne, but the results have arrived ahead of time, and that's largely down to John Aloisi. It's uh, such a cool, calm figure, and you can tell that he's really taken um, a very cohesive approach to building this team. Um, the likes of Diamante wasn't there. That's fine. Next player up, Lockie Wells plays well. Uh, kind of pain down the left-hand side, so fast, so uh, attack-minded and direct. And then um, Priyavich uh, just seems to be a really inspired signing. Um, obviously, you can look at his uh, wonderful European pedigree, but he's still got to fit in that team and he's still got to deliver, and he's done both of those. Mm, interesting. I suppose it's of some consolation that um, the Phoenix, who had had a pretty good year against uh, Western United, uh, seeing Western United go on and do it, it'll be small, uh, small bickies in their department. Though 
Um, uh, what have you made of Phoenix post being knocked out um, and developments there? I mean, we saw David Ball has committed to the Phoenix through to, uh, what, another two to three years and wants to play for the All-Whites. Yeah, it's a great story. That shows you the commitment of the man. And I think he was probably the pick in terms of the players over the course of the season for you know, uh, personality, for the inspirational story. Obviously, Ollie Sale, I think, um, had the best form. But David Ball, uh, he just added another element to this Wellington Phoenix team this year. And you hope that he does stay around and he gets um, a partner up front um, that will be able to put the ball in the back of the net regularly. I think his strongest contribution to this Phoenix team was the fact that he um, could bring that dynamic workload, that industry, um, both defensively and um, in attack. And he did create and stretch defences. He did create chances and stretch defences. And um, his assists, I think, is probably his best contribution. So if we can find someone that can put the ball in the back of the net and he can work well in combination with, then I think the Phoenix will actually be in good stead going into next season. I don't mind um, seeing the likes of Ben Old being used more often next year. Obviously, there's a creative element that uh, Tully needs to find with the absence of Renault Piscopo. But with Clayton Lewis and Alex Rufa um, back into the team and uh, laying the foundation in midfield, I think that's probably going to be the biggest um, addition, if you will, Smithy, for next year is the ability to play those two players in combination and have them play regularly because that was where the issue was uh, over the course of last year. The defensive work they do in front of that back four, but also the way in which they play and they implement Tully's principles. And um, people will point the finger at the goal difference, but I actually think it was uh, the, large, the biggest issue last year was the fact that they didn't have those two anchors um, to set the team to. Time to get excited, uh, Jacob, just finally. Uh, the All-Whites Costa Rica this weekend, and then, of course, um, uh, no, no, not this weekend. It's uh, Peru in the warm-up game this weekend. Uh, and then, of course, it's uh, the serious business against Costa Rica. So it's getting close. Absolutely. And uh, looking forward to it, Smitty. So we're um, doing the work behind the scenes. Um, Jason Pine, uh, Goran Paladin and the Sky Sports team. So we're hoping to put on uh, a real feast of football for um, Kiwi football fans. And it's something that rolls around once every four years. We seem to get a concentrated fixation on football. But isn't it a wonderful thing where you've got the ability for the Always to have great preparation in Spain, playing the warm-up game at Barcelona and then flying into Doha. We'd love to see the uh, Phoenix, uh, Phoenix, they're always playing uh, in Wellington mm. or Auckland and having that home fixture, but we're avoiding San Jose, which I think is the biggest thing. Uh, well, uh, we'll uh, hopefully we'll get in touch with you uh, prior to that, mate. But thank you very much for your review of um, pretty much the, the, the season overseas. And um, we've just had a text in actually from Chris. You might want to comment on this. Oh, I think it was an extraordinary run by Liverpool, said Chris, but it was overhyped a bit because they didn't score a goal in any of the three finals they played in. No victories against other f top four teams in the EPL. So uh, do you want a, a, a crack back at Chris or you just want to let that one simmer for a while, Jacob? <laughs> well, it's a fair point, but um, I think, Chris, when um, people like Carlo Ancelotti and Real Madrid are sitting back in numbers uh, with a back four and a front two to try and block or nullify Liverpool's threat, that kind of is the biggest compliment that Jurgen Klopp can get, is that not only is he going into finals to compete with others, but um, the opposition is really concerned about what Liverpool do with the ball. So, yeah, you're right, mate, but at the same time, the other truth is that Jurgen Klopp is uh, probably one of the most dynamic um, 11s 
in the world at the moment, which we're happy with as Liverpool fans. Good on you, mate. Like to ha- have you having the Lovely. last say. Uh, congratulations to on, on a pretty good season, and uh, I look forward to catching up shortly, Jacob. Thanks very much this morning. No problem, Smitty. Great to chat to you as always. Yeah, cheers, uh, Jacob Spoonley there, folks. A former custodian for the All Whites, of course, and now a pundit for Sky as well with some great football, international football coming up in the form of our very own All Whites. It is 10.18 here on SENZ. What's next? Well, it's panel time next, of course. Jamie Wall and James Regan uh, are with us after the break. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. What a marvellous four days of play. What a great year from you. I think there are a lot of people out there who might be wondering, you've had a solid career, but you have turned into the dominant player in senior golf. How do you explain the transformation that you've gone through? Yeah, just a lot of things. Uh, Support and uh, the game, you know, coming around, the people helping me just to get me in shape and and just... um, uh, Caddy, I mean everybody. It's it's been a great run. I've just enjoyed playing out here. I'm, I'm enjoying myself. Uh, all the guys have made me welcome. It's, it's so much fun. Big talk, big opinions. The panel. Yes, a snippet and a slightly uh, emotional, I think, Stephen Olker there of uh, the presentation and the interview that he did uh, straight after winning uh, the uh, tournament this morning. He is the senior PGA champion. Senior. PGA champion, the first one we've had on that tour since Sir Bob Charles. Jamie Wall with us this morning on the panel, as is James Regan. And uh, James, if I can come to you uh, about Stephen Alker, quite remarkable. The 63 in the last round, flawless golf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just another chapter and I guess, uh, Stephen Alker's remarkable senior's career. And you're right, not just the win, which is amazing, but the way he's done it uh, is, is pretty remarkable and he's he's kind of burst onto the scene over the past couple of years with the seniors tour and um and yeah that that interview was right he's, he's just dominating uh and it's it's fantastic to see so yeah massive congratulations to him it's that's pretty awesome yeah could have been a great morning for golf uh, uh ryan fox just fading right at the end uh three shot lead going down the last and Managed to somehow make a double bogey on a, a relatively easy par five. I say sitting here in a studio in Hilkes Bay We're not without any golfing ability, really. But um, yeah, he'll be disappointed with that. Let's get on to uh, uh, the rugby side of things. Uh, Jamie Wall, uh, what did you make of some of those results over the weekend? Uh, and Moana Pacifica in particular, the win over the Brumbies. How did you regard that? Well, talk about saving the best for last uh, for both Moana Pacifica and the Fijian Drua. Uh, but I think that that win by Moana uh, gives a, a massive amount of, uh, of hope for, for next season because it's the, they, they managed to achieve the one thing that's kind of eluded them all season, which is uh, composure and consistency. Um, they found themselves on the right side of a penalty count for once. Um, because you have to remember the the only other game that they won against the Hurricanes um, wasn't the greatest game, and it was simply because the Hurricanes were so incredibly bad themselves that Moana managed to to win that game. There was still an absolute truckload of penalties in that game that Moana managed to. Um, I think they gave away a, a, a twenty-three to ten penalty count in that one. Uh, this one, this time around, they had an amazing period uh, where uh, Sakopi Kepi got himself sent off, rightfully so. Good, pretty easy call for the, uh, the referees on that one. Uh, and they, they managed to sort of go up a gear and, and and score a couple of tries. But it was the rest of the game where they played good, solid rugby, 
made the right decisions and uh, let the Brumbies implode, basically. Uh, so really impressive win there. And, and if they can keep that sort of style up, if they can keep their squad together for next year, like, yeah, okay, they, they might be losing a few key guys on this year. It's a bit doubtful that Kepu and maybe Lele Afanu will come back. Uh, so, But they can fill those gaps and, and, and be like a competitive team going into next year. And um, same with the draw. Uh, obviously, they enjoy a massive home ground advantage. Um, they've played two New Zealand sides in Fiji and lost both by a combined four points. The two New Zealand sides they played in New Zealand, they lost by a combined 123 points. Uh, so that just goes to show that next year when the borders are open and they're going to have like a full home season, they're going to be a real challenge up there in Suva and Latoka. Uh, uh, but to me, um, a big game on the weekend is probably one that we weren't really thinking of because the Blues had already locked in first place. Uh, and had named a B team to come out uh, and play against the Waratahs. And really, like, no one really would have minded or even really noticed had they dropped this game. But I think it says an awful lot about the culture that has developed in this Blues outfit that they managed to go out there and fight really hard to the end and pull off a, a very exciting win uh, with a team of guys who knew full well that this was probably the last chance they'd be playing in a Blues jersey uh, this year. Um, they've got Luke Romano in there, who has turned out to be one of the most inspired signings uh, by any Super Rugby team for a long time, uh, leading them out there and is, is making a, a push to be, you know, even considered for the All Blacks. Like, that's how good the guy's playing. Um, and for them to have sent out that team uh, that really no one would have minded had they lost, but they still had the spirit and desire to win says a, a hell of a lot about what the Blues have got going on there um, because that was for that, for that team, that was their final and, and, and they went out and played like one. So, so yeah, big ups to the Blues um, for that game. And the Hurricanes, well, come on. You know, the, the, it was just such a... It some, kind of summed up their season, that, that game. It was just They've just been so inconsistent. So they've got a big challenge on their hands going to Canberra next week to face a Brumbies team that, uh, you know, has a lot to bounce back from after that loss to Moana Pacifica. They sure do. They sure do. Uh, James Regan, uh, the Highlanders just sneaking in the back door on the basis that, uh, uh, well, I, I suppose uh, the Rebels didn't ha- have a crack, really, uh, in that final uh, possibility uh, to get the, help their brothers the force through. So that was the Dave Rennie pretty upset about that, but the Highlanders just sneaking through, James. Yeah, and I saw a bit of talk about this. Um, over the weekend about how the Highlanders have won the four games. I'm sure Jamie will, will know, but they've managed to to crack the finals. I, I've really enjoyed this this version of Super Rugby, and um, as we mentioned, seeing Moana and, and Fiji come in and the crossover with the Aussie teams again. But the fact that we can have a team that hardly won, you know, a handful of games making the finals um, for me isn't really it. I'm make, make it top six or top four or whatever, but I mean, credit to the Highlanders. They, they did what they needed to do, and yeah, there was obviously a bit of uh, bit of controversy around it, but maybe that's something they can look at. They, they've said, when you do a rugby, they've said at least they'll, they'll look at ways they can improve the competition from their point of view, and yeah, maybe, maybe it is um, sorting this finals out, but uh, we're here, the Highlanders will be stoked they're in it, and, and all in all, it's been a really, really enjoyable season of Super Rugby, especially with the inclusion of those two new teams who who have been outstanding as well. James Regan is with us this morning. Jamie Wall, uh, they are the panel. We'll take a short break for a news update.
uh, and then we'll come back with some uh, more issues, including, yep, the Warriors. We'll be back shortly. James Regan with us this morning, as is uh, Jamie Wall. And, uh, well, whether they concerning signs, Jamie Wall, going into this test match, as Zara has just told us, starting this Thursday night, New Zealand time. Uh, the back, Black Caps batting collapse using all their specialist batsmen and using 17 players in the game, which uh, really doesn't constitute a game as such anyway, but um, not good signs. Uh, the last performance before a test match, you want confidence. I'm not sure that uh, they'll have too much after that uh, that poor performance with the bat, Jamie. No, it is quite concerning, but then again, you have to weigh it up with what you just said, that it's, it's, it's not really a real game, is it? So... Uh, uh, but then again, I mean, you know, was there one chance to get used to local conditions and everything like that? Um, but I see this series as really uh, kind of a reset for, for both England and the Black Caps. You know, the Black Caps are coming off a pretty up and down um, home summer uh, game and a bit of a layoff. And obviously England is starting again with our good friend Baz McCollum up there in charge now. So it's going to be really interesting to see what what happens because it's just quite hard to form a really solid opinion on on what's going to what's going to go down. But yeah, not great signs um, coming out coming out of that game. But uh, but then again, you know, when have those those games really counted for much? Uh, yeah. So just looking forward to the first test starting and, and seeing what we can um, what we can achieve on this tour. Amazing. Uh for Lockie uh, Ferguson and, and uh, his Gujarat Titans. I mean, this is a side that uh, have only come into the mix this time round. They've had no history in the competition, Jamie. They, they end up winning it. Lockie Ferguson, a bowl one delivery at 157.3, they tell me, in the final. That's pretty darn quick. So for Lockie, it's been a success. And they, well, they paid $2 million for him, I think, from the outset. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, that he, uh, But... You know, he's a guy who came in, you know, a few years ago with some big raps that he was, he's, you know, the quickest bowler in the country and everything. And he's a guy that just kind of struggled for a bit of consistency with selection and everything. And uh, but it's it's awesome to see him getting the 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 success that a guy who can bowl that fast and the sort of visibility that a guy who can bowl that fast can do because that's really what we want to see when when you watch um, you know limited overs cricket as a guy who can just absolutely just come in and rip it as fast as that 157 you know it's not too far off the uh, the world record so hopefully he can um, you know stay healthy and uh, keep his back and his shoulders uh, in check so we can we can see him keeping on doing more of this and then perhaps, uh, you know, get more consistent selection in the Black Caps themselves. So, you know, well done to him, well done to his team. James, who's favourites for, for you going into this series? So we've got a, a Black Caps team who are, are still the current World Test champions, maybe has some of them struggling for a little bit of form. An England side who we just have got no idea about, really, uh, with Brenna McCullum um, at the helm or just behind the scenes. So where, where, where are we at in terms of favouritism for you, James? I think you'd still probably just have the Black Caps as favourites purely because you're right. We we just don't know enough about this England team and and the the new guys that are coming in, but also how much influence Brent McCullum will actually have been able to have. He might just use this first test especially to get a good look at his guys and see um, see what he wants to change, see what he wants to keep, have a good sit down with Ben Stokes at the end of it and and kind of assess where they are from then. But the Black Caps should, should still go in with plenty of confidence given um, their record in England and those conditions over the past few years and the, the calibre of players that they've got. Um, but, it, yeah, Jamie's right. It's going to be really interesting to see 
um, how much we see of Brendan McCallum in this England team or whether they just go out there and, and kind of play for their lives or whether the Black Caps just kind of hammer home that, yeah, they are test champions and they're, they're not going to kind of give that up without, without a fight. So really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be strange looking at Brendan McCullum sitting in the home team balcony with an English tracksuit on. I think um, it's going to take a, well, regardless of what happens out in the middle, it's going to take a little while for me to get used to, James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seeing those first pictures of him uh, at Lords the other day in that blue tracksuit, it was kind of like, oh, wow, this is, this is happening, you know? And, and he was typically kind of casual about it. He was saying, you know, I'm, I'm not out there in the middle. I'm just, just kind of giving them directions. But, um, yeah, all in all, I think well done to Brendan McCallum for getting this job, and it's a job you can't turn down. It's one of the best jobs in sport, um, I think personally that that test job. And um, anyone who says, "Oh, it's you know, it's not loyal to take that job," I mean, come on, he, he's done enough for New Zealand. He's done more than enough with shaping New Zealand cricket in the past um, in the past few years. So, good on him, all the best, and uh, yeah, hopefully he can he can turn it around eventually. Well, they did it again for us, uh, Jamie Wall, at the weekend. The Warriors teased us into a really good start, and uh, they looked like they were on track for something just a little bit special, and then it set in again, again and again. Uh, the Warriors who have got Manly this weekend. God knows when they're going to get their next win. I think it's four losses in a row, uh, Jamie. Yeah, yeah, really enjoying um, the, uh, the, the Monday Warriors win session. It's a, such a wonderful way to start the week. Um, but I guess that after what happened last week with, with you know, first Chanel Harris-Savita and then Matt Lodge and then finding out the, the sort of story around why Matt Lodge left, around Mark Robinson getting involved, um, I think it was probably, if, if nothing else, like last week was a, a good one for Nathan Brown because no one was talking about him. Um, and then they, they went out in a game where, you know, you got two awful teams and, and, and a horrible runs of form each. Uh, go out and play, you know, pretty pretty average game of rugby league. Uh, to be honest, and the Warriors lose, and I think they've got to the point now where everyone's like, well, of course, because that's just what we've come to expect of this this outfit uh, this time of year. You know, I was quite vocal earlier in the year that it it wouldn't really matter how badly they they played, um, because by the time they come back, you know, they've got such loyal support uh, back here at Auckland that they're going to have a big crowd. Uh, show up um, early July for that game against the West Tigers. I'm starting to rethink that now because of just how shambolic uh, things have got. That it's like it's one thing to be bad and losing on the field, and then you can sort of at least kind of point fingers and say, well, let's select this guy and let's move this around and do this, and they might come right by the time that game happens. But now that we have this really in-depth knowledge of just how cooked things are behind the scenes and how it doesn't seem like there's any sort of light at the end of the tunnel for the Warriors. I'm starting to worry, wor wonder whether anyone's going to show up, especially when you have that Kiwis and Tonga test um, happening the week before. Maybe people are just going to go along to have a look at that. So, yeah, just really, you know, pardon the pun, worrying times. Mm. Yeah, they are. Um, James, we can't not uh, let you have a crack at them if you, that's what you want to do. <laughs> oh. I just, yeah, I agree with everything Jamie just said. I mean, the whole um, thing around this year has, has been 
building up and getting into a good position so that when the team come home for that amazing homecoming after three really tough years, I mean, I will say that it's it's just been a brutal um, a brutal time for the club. But I mean, the weekend just showed how far off the pace they really are, um, both as some individuals in that team who aren't quite up to that standard, but as a team collective as well. I mean, the, the Knights were absolutely nothing special and the Warriors just handed it to them on a plate. And you could kind of see Nathan Brown in the post-match just kind of sat there going, I, I don't know what I can do about these mistakes mm. that are just coming in to their game. Because they showed, they showed patches of how they can play. I thought Dallin watching his Dolesniak's try was, was great. A bit of, you know good kick from Sean and and that's how they should be playing with those senior guys stepping up and really taking the game but man I, I couldn't help feel uh, couldn't help but feel for Chanel uh, when he dropped that ball and, and that obviously turned the game but they they mm. didn't help themselves at all and it was just you were just sat there watching and at no time throughout that game did you think they were actually properly going to win it and put them away because that night's team were, were there for the taking um, mm. Matt Lodge walking out at this stage of the season is whatever way you put it whoever, whoever's fault it is the fact that they couldn't come to an agreement to say right Matt you don't want to come back to New Zealand next year that's fine but please understand that you're a huge part of this team and please just play out the rest of the year I mean the fact that that couldn't happen is, is just it's it's such a shame for the fans because they're the one that they're the ones that suffer. Um, so, yeah, they've got Manly and then I think the Sharks and then Penrith. So, um, yeah, good luck to them for the next few weeks. Good luck to Nathan Brown, who I think has, has been given some pretty rough deals um, with the way things have obviously gone on behind the scenes. Um, and, yeah, hopefully they can pull it together. But this team is so far off the pace, it's not even funny. James Regan, thank you very much for your thoughts this morning. Uh, Jamie Wall as well uh, with your thoughts uh, on the panel. We'll have another one tomorrow morning uh, around about the same stage. It's uh, 10.43, uh, just an update on the PGA event. The Charles Swab, before we go to the break, is a playoff in that as well. And that's Sam Burns against Scotty Scheffler, two of the hottest names in American golf going around at the moment. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A couple of texts uh, coming around about Stephen Elka. Has to be a front-runner for next year's Halberg, says uh, Zane. How solid. Wins by three with a final round 63. Absolutely crazy. Joe has said, morning, Smithy. Just watch Elka's last round. Absolutely flawless and controlled golf. Great to see Kiwis going so well, along with uh, Foxy losing in a playoff overnight. Uh, it was in the Dutch Open. Jack Jordan, the Tomanui farmer, winning the world title in timber sports. And Lockie Ferguson winning the IPL title, bowling the fastest ever delivery in the IPL, recorded at 157.3. Going to catch up with uh, Louis Herman Watt uh, very shortly uh, and have a chat to him about retiring jockey uh, Lee Thinnis. We've had Jess in the show and the breakfast show this morning, but uh, Louis's thoughts will be uh, invaluable to you, I'm sure. Uh, and I think Paul Mowadi this morning, as we still look at a uh, pretty busy Monday uh, in uh, TAB Investments, uh, there is a little matter of an NBA playoff this afternoon. We'll be back shortly. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan.
Well, we tipped uh, some Kiwi success uh, over the weekend in uh, Brisbane at Eagle Farm. I'm um, not quite sure we were that bullish about Pinarello winning the derby, but uh, that's exactly what happened, and it was ridden by Lethinus, who moments afterwards said, that's it for me, hanging up the silks. Um, and Louis Herman, what joins us this morning. So um, how do you regard uh, Lee Thinnis in terms of his career? Well, he's won over 1,600 races, 30 Group 1s. He's won 2,000 guineas. He's ridden some of our best horses. I think that's probably my favourite way to really appraise jockeys' careers is what horses they had associations with because... Um, mm. That's really what it's about. Sacred Falls, Ocean Park, Aegon, Kawi, uh, Pinarello now, Smithy. So, yeah, he is undoubtedly going to go down as one of our legendary jockeys. He doesn't necessarily have the stats of a Lance O'Sullivan or a David Walsh or, um, you know, one of these maybe a... Yeah, so just from a stats point of view. It's actually interesting because we talked about this last week on your Mount Rushmore and you see Lester... Pickett passed away, Smithy. So it's um Yeah, I did see that. I did see that, Louis. Yeah. Did you expect this from Leith or did you know uh, you 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 have your um, finger to uh, on the pulse of racing and did you did you think this time around? Is has he been milling this decision around over? Yeah, yeah I actually expected that at least we were being honest with ourselves, Leith was nearing the end. And I'm I'm certain that there was times where he was about to throw it in before this. And I don't know if he mm. knew what he was going for. I don't think he was necessarily after that champion horse or that one last big hurrah. But then at the same time, he's been over there. He's, he's worked hard. He stayed in Queensland away from his family for this five weeks. And then he got the rewards with Pinarello. I actually think a lot of it comes down to the ride, Smithy. Like, mm. that is as good of a ride I have ever seen in my life. And I, like, I know it probably sounds like recency bias. And people like yourself watch a lot more racing than me. But... If you look at the dynamics of it, what, what? Well, you're you're just more experienced than me, Smithy. You've punted more. You've won more money than me. Um, he, if you look at the dynamics of the ride, like he jumps, he uses all his instinct in the world to. He knows that he needs to be on the pace, so he's done his homework. He jumps. He uses his instinct when he sees a gap. He drops the stirrup. He comes flying in. He gets one off the rail, three back. But then it was the mid race move to go around and push the button again and try steal a pinch on them at the top of the straight. Mm. It's just a clinic. It is such a cool way to end a career. I love it. Love the story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely going out on top, Louis. Thanks very much for that. Uh, great great ups for Leith Innes. Uh, terrific servant to New Zealand racing. Uh, also a terrific uh, servant to the, uh, the New Zealand TAB has been Paul Mawati over the years. He continues to be in Paul. Uh, even though it's a Monday, still plenty on. Celtics up uh, against the Heat today as a golf match, uh, golf in another playoff. Uh, plenty going. Yeah, plenty on, as you said, Smitty. And, yeah, we've got a Game 7 Eastern Conference Finals. Miami Heat up against the Boston Celtics. Uh, we've got a same-game claim on that match. Uh, and there are a number of power plays. There are a couple that have tweaked the punters' uh, punters' interest. Uh, Jimmy Butler to score 40 or more points in Miami Heat to win. That's paying $13. Mm-hmm. He's scored 40 or more twice in this series already. So that has been well backed by punters. And also, congratulations to the punter who put $1,800 on Stephen Elker to win the Senior PGA Championship at $6 uh, just before the tournament. And also to those punters who backed Stephen Elker just before the fourth round at $15. Uh, a very, very... 
profitable day for those punters, Smitty. Uh, look, you've got the rugby odds out uh, now that we're into um, playoff mode. There's uh, the, the odds for the playoffs are there, but the overall ones interest me too, Paul. Blues 230, Crusaders 260. Yeah, well, just before the final round, those two were both paying $2.50 each. Uh, but after that performance by the Baby Blues and the fact that they'll have home field advantage throughout the playoffs, that's just that's just pushed them into favouritism by themselves. As you said, Blues 230, Crusaders 260. We've also had a little bit of interest around the Hurricanes who will have to travel over to Australia to take on the Brumbies this weekend. They're paying $15. Oh. Game, set, match of the Knights. They have just their fourth win of the season. And the Warriors, four straight losses. That's game one, Super Saturday. Newcastle, the winners, over the Warriors, 24-16. to 16. The dulcet tones there of Andrew Voss uh, with his expertise calling yet another disappointing performance uh, from the Warriors. Uh, you cannot say anything other than that. They were the architects of their own demise on a number of occasions. Over a weekend of uh, Rugby League, uh, which welcomed its annual Indigenous round, uh, as Jazz Tavaga so rightly put it, after their 24-16 loss to Newcastle, the Warriors have more jerseys than trophies, and that would be one of the great understatements of all time. Good morning to you, Andrew Voss. Thanks for joining us again. You called it, um, and it uh, didn't look pretty. Nah, Smithy, good morning. Yeah, you'd love to try and put positive spin. I, well, okay, well, I will I will try if you give me some license. I mean, the first 15 minutes, uh, it's it's beautifully played. They came out of the blocks, um, yeah, really positive, uh, direct. They all seem to be on the same page. It's 12-0 after 21 minutes and, you know, then kicks out on the full, two of them. Uh, kickoff dropped. Uh, it, it just was a... I don't know whether the Warriors had a solid five minutes of consistent footy for the last three quarters of the game. And I have no explanation as to why that would would be the case. And I can only lean on a premiership winning coach in Shane Flanagan, who I called the game with. He said, this is a trait of the Warriors, and, and maybe our listeners might agree with this. He doesn't understand the Warriors don't do anything twice. As in, when they're doing something well, they won't necessarily go back there. They won't. They won't keep doing that. They they find other ways and then they come undone. It was just a... I said with the Knights a few weeks ago at Magic Round when they beat the Bulldogs, there would have been no other side they beat that weekend. I don't know whether the Knights would have beaten too many on the weekend. Sorry, Smithy. I, I don't think the Knights were very good. And they've beaten the Warriors having come back from 12-0 down early. Coaches, uh, get the, they get the acid from time to time. And on this side of the Tasman, people are asking questions about Nathan Brown's continued stay with the Warriors. But for God's sake, I mean, you don't kick the ball dead. You don't drop no. the ball like that. Um, from a coaching point of view, they're, they're just basic skills that you don't see, you want to see at that level. Yeah, that's right. The, the only um, mistake the Warriors didn't make in contrast to their opponents, um, the Knights sort of said at some stage, hold my beer, we'll see if we can better you with your kicks out on the full. Um, that three dummy half passes the Knights produced in the game that were absolutely disgraceful. Uh, but that were the three mm. main errors from the Knights. I mean, I really do throw some heat um, at um, both Sean Johnson and Chanel, Chanel Harris-DeVita, to be honest. I, I think Reese Walsh has gone off the boil. He's certainly not having the impact. He's, a, he's more a marked man this year than he was last season, last season when he burst onto the scene. 
But Sean and Chanel on the weekend, they, they didn't provide the leadership, direction, the authority in the game that is required of two experienced players. You can't say Chanel's not a rookie anymore, and I know he's, he's, he's laid out his intentions that he'll leave the game at the end of the season. But Sean Johnson comes back to the club, and you know, I, I see a lot of pointing. I, I see talking out on the field, but I'm not seeing a lot of doing. Um, so, mm. you know, I really hope um, the role of Sean Johnson in the team is clarified this week by the coach exactly what he wants. And if Sean can still run the ball, please, Sean, run the damn ball. Just occasionally run the damn ball. They weren't helped either, um, Vossi, by the sin binning of uh, Marcello Montoya in the 58th no. minute. What did you make of that? Yeah, I thought th- I thought that was harsh. I, I thought in light of the fact um, earlier in the game, and uh, you know, in the run of play, it's very hard to you know, debate issues, but I thought the Daniel Saifidi coming over the top of Sean Johnson in the try-scoring position, I mean, Sean was in the process of, of plunging over the line and they rule he's been hit in the head that perhaps something more could happen. And then the Montoya one, it's case by case. It, it, to me, yeah, it, it was penalty sufficient. You know, really, when you look, you look back at the incident, if, and if that's bunker intervention, then that's not right. You know, if the referee didn't go automatic sin bin and we have to go to the bunker and break it down and he doesn't take into account, the player slipped and then gets up and it's all happened in the blink of an eye. I, I, yeah, I thought that was very rough, um, what happened there. But again, you can, if, if you're blaming the sin bin or whatever, you, the points you've raised, Smithy, about the basic fundamental errors that they made, that's got to be the focus of the Warriors this week, not the fact that we played, you know, in, in big minutes, um, you know, big point of the match with only 12 men. You've got to review on what the hell happened between minute 15 and, and the rest of the game because it was like two different teams. Like, they just got out of their jerseys and, and turned into a very average footy side. They have to be better than that. Jess Tavanga at prop, um, filling in for the uh, recently departed Matt Lodge. Would you... You see him there in the future or back to nine? Well, I, I'm probably going to declare a little bit of bias here. I could never knock Jazz Tavanga because to me he epitomises you know Warriors' effort and and the actual the actual name Warriors to me because he would he'd run through a brick wall for you and he did his best and they did they Murdoch Masilla and and Tavanga started well enough for mine. I mean against a, a Knights pack that hasn't exactly you know set the world on fire. I mean Daniel Saifidi made one hit up in the first 20 minutes, and he was playing for origin selection. One hit up, seven metres through the opening 20 minutes. So they were matching them, and, and Torhu Harris has been great on his return. Um, you know, individually, there's a few bits and pieces there, but now with Adam, Adam Fanua-Blake is, is a massive loss injury-wise. Obviously, Matt Lodge has been let go, but but Adam Fanua-Blake, yeah, he's your number one man. He's a leader, and to lose him, the, you're just going to have to get by. It would be handy if they could, you know, uncover another big young forward to come through and and take that hit-up role, but Tavanga won't let you down. He, he won't be the reason, wherever you're playing, he won't be the reason you lose matches. Vossi, uh, owner Mark Robinson, and I say this, you can't see me with my inverted commas, my human version of inverted commas, right. uh, has said the Warriors will stick with Nathan Brown through to the end of the season uh, when they have their usual review. Now, here's an owner who has uh, been into the forefront in the Lodge scenario as well. Um, do you see that being the case? Uh, you, you'd be you'd be thinking Brown is there for the, the longer haul this season. Yeah, well, look, 
from outside looking in, and obviously I've had no, we've had, as a, as a media person, we've had less contact than ever over the last couple of years with clubs, you know, where you used to get down to training sessions and spend a bit of time. Well, it just hasn't happened. I, I don't see how the Warriors, given the fact that they're based in Redcliffe, um, could be any better off by changing their coach this season in particular if, if results continue to go south. Um, you know, maybe if it was back a little as normal back in New Zealand, they'd be contemplating things and, and upheaval. But I think if you appointed Nathan Brown for the reasons of helping this club become better, rebuilding rosters, all those sorts of things, well, then you've got to let him complete his job, haven't you? Otherwise, then, well, the people who make those decisions have to go as well at the same time. You can't give someone a job to rebuild and change roster. And, and like one of the glimmers of hope, you, you see Otacolo come on the field the other day, the dummy half. He's a great prospect. Violia in the centres, great prospect. You know, and, and they're going to find their way in the game. That's just two little glimmers there that are brought through by this coach. Um, they're hoping they have a few more. But you know, if I'm to look forward right now towards next season... Um, Reese Walsh has said he will honour commitment, so he's your fullback. But six and seven, I'm now, you know, you let Cody Nicarima go during the year, sign Dejan De- Arzi, he plays for a few weeks and gets dropped. Um, I- I'm a bit worried about the Warriors being a better side next year around six and seven, if this is the best what we're seeing from Sean right now, and Chanel Harris Devita is out the door. So um, there's a lot of work to be done, Smithy, but that, yeah, that almost goes without saying, doesn't it? It does. It does, Bossy, but we say it anyway uh, every yes, Monday. Yes, we do. Uh, here's we do. The th- here's, the, here's the thing. Um, comeback of the weekend has to be the Broncos, down 24-4 at half time, keeping the Titans scoreless in the second half and adding to theirs to 35-24. to Man, this is a side feeling good about themselves, surely. Yeah. Well, they're, they're, this is a classic example. A team that has learned how to win and now makes it a habit. And, you know, it's been the same with the Cowboys for much of the year until they ran into the Panthers, but... They were down. It was twenty-four to four with twenty-eight to go, Smithy. So, so the last twenty-eight minutes, the Broncos have gone from being down by twenty to winning by eleven. That is some serious, you know, football side finishing off a game and without, without Adam Reynolds. You know, you're talking the main man is out of that side, and this team, where winning has become a habit, now have the confidence in themselves and. Even when they were down, like even the post-try celebration in the corner when you're well down, that was a sign of, yeah, this team's a little bit different. They're enjoying their work and don't write them off. And, you know, Selwyn Cobbo, the, the young bloke who replaced Adam Reynolds at halfback, Ezra Mam, you know, terrific talent out of the Intra Super Cup up there in Queensland. Um, Broncos riding the train, big crowd, good time to be in Queensland given that we've got Origin just around the corner and the Broncos... And the Cowboys are up in the top bracket of teams. It's a it's a vast uh, a vast improvement on where they've been the last few seasons. The only uh, thing, probably, which was a, a little bit of a cloudy issue, was uh, the story behind Payne Haas. Uh, can you enlighten us on those contract negotiations? Well, yeah. Out, again, outside looking in, it's a new manager who's not getting a cut of his contract. Yeah, you know, I say this cynically, but he wants a piece of the action. So renegotiated com, uh, contracts. See, Payne Haas has his previous manager, I, I think it's be, you know, going to the courts and claiming money and all the rest. Well, if Payne Haas signs a, an upgraded, renegotiated deal, well, his new manager um, would, get, uh, would get a piece of the pie. Now, I can't believe that Payne Haas, the Payne Haas that presents to me, and I've been watching him and speaking to him since he was a schoolboy, he's one of the most humble players I've ever come across. 
David Fafita's the same, and you know, he might be the highest paid player in the game. But I find it hard that he'd, it could be Payne's own words, tell the club tonight, I want an immediate release. I just can't, I can't picture him doing that. And the fact is, he's on, what, 750 this year, 850 next year, 950 in two years' time. That's what he signed off on three years ago. That's bloody good money, Smithy. That's, you know, mm. if you want these other things thrown in the clause, there's, there's talk about a clause being thrown if we don't make the finals that I can get. Well, come on. That's hardly, that's hardly the indication of a team man. And the person that presents to me, Payne Haas, is a team man. So, you know, I, I think poorly advised, has done him no favours at all, has put undue pressure on him. And the timing of it, when the Broncos have won five in a row for that story to come out, that stinks. That absolutely stinks. I just can't believe that Payne has done that all off his own bat. All right, let's move to uh, the the likely premieres. I say that this far out, but they just look like it. Sometimes, Vossi, we do post-match interviews, as you well know, and we talk to coaches, and, uh, you know, we talk about the attacking side of a performance, and they sometimes say, actually, I was more pleased with the nil that we kept it to. Um, 22-0, Panthers-Cowboys, and the Cowboys have been running pretty hot. Oh, hot as. Um, you know, you, you knew straight away um, Friday night, Penrith, you know, third minute of play. As AEO scores the try, they're off and running. By halftime, it's 16-0. Yeah, you know, there's some matches, and as commentator Smithy, make the admission, um, you know, you sort of you sort of will the comeback because you, you know there's a chance of it. But when Penrith lead a game 16-0 at halftime, you know in your head, the opposition aren't coming back. You know, Penrith are just too good. And so it was the second half. I mean, Penrith only scored the one second half try and the Cowboys probably patting themselves on the back. Well done. But there was never going to be a comeback. This is a wonderful performance. This is a great side to watch at the moment. Great side to watch. It hasn't just been, you know, happen overnight. It's been two and a half years now of absolute excellence. Didn't get the job done in 2020. Did get the job done in 2021. At the moment, if they play their best, they beat every team in the competition. Um, they'll win back-to-back premierships. This is a this is a fantastic defence of the total they won last year that's underway at the moment, winning their first 11 of 12 games this year. That's outstanding. Which includes, of course, uh, when you talk about those other sides, um, they'll beat them any day of the week. That includes the Storm, who bounced back uh, with a slightly better performance against Manly, 28-8. Oh, look... You can't say they bounce back to their best, um, the Melbourne Storm, but they too, too good for a manly side. That it's look, alarm bells are ringing now. Now I know they're without Tom Draboyevich, but you know you probably expect a little more. They're they're losing touch with all the teams now. You know they're they're six points behind the likes of the Cowboys and the Broncos. They're eight behind the Storm. They're twelve behind the Panthers. So they're well off the pace. For Melbourne, the game really was a little underwhelming, but. It would have been more so without Cameron Munster. What a performance from Cameron Munster. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Melbourne, they get Harry Grant back. They get Pappenhausen back. They're going to be up there, um, obviously. Uh, but they can do a lot better than what they produced on Thursday night. Right, let's... Uh, can we just change tack? Uh, of course, the other mm-hmm. results. Um, I, I, I should ask you if there was another. Amongst the others, was there a performance that stood out for you? So, oh, Rabbitohs, well, Roosters, Dragons, yeah. Eels? Well, Roosters were good. Roosters very good away from home. 20 nil half time, 24 nil after 56 minutes, and then a bit of a Bermuda Triangle period of the game for them. And the Sharks came back into it. They got the job done in the end, scoring seven tries to three. So, so Roosters again, they're on a lower bracket than the top sides for mine, but they're still, you know, still a team to be respected. The Rabbitohs are an interesting one because, you know, Latrell Mitchell's still to come back into this side. Cody Walker. 
yet to find his very best consistent form, but they tease you with these periods where you know, they blew the Tigers off the field. I mean, it was 12-0 to the Tigers after 15 minutes. So from that point on, they've won the game 44-6. to <laughs> That's emphatic. Um, so, you know, they're a dangerous side, but they don't have the consistency of a, of a Penrith, obviously, even though they made the grand final last year. And Parramatta again showed that they can... Yeah, you know, big game. Yesterday was a great crowd, great game down in Canberra, and Parramatta came up and saluted. And Dylan Brown, boy, the Warriors probably wish they had even tried harder for Dylan a few years ago. They had a real lash at him, and um, I wondered whether he the signing. Well, their their judgment was spot on. Dylan Brown is on his way to becoming one of the most important players in the competition, certainly for Parramatta. His defence is great, and his attack this year has improved fivefold on anything he's done so far in his career. He is. He's emerging as possibly the most important player for the Parramatta Reels. He is their X Factor, Dylan Brown. Really excited about him. And New Zealand Rugby League fans should be excited when we get back to playing international football on a regular basis. Dylan Brown could be the number six for the New Zealand side for the next decade, the way he's playing. Wow, that's a big call. Uh, Enjoy it. Uh, Before we get to the international side of things, of course, we've got a little matter of State of origin. Both squads have now been announced. Um, mm. We'll look at the Blues first if we can. Josh Adokar missing. Angus Crichton missing. Jake Trevojevic missing. Surprised yeah. by uh, the squad in any way? Uh, oh, well, well, we should celebrate the players in and not out, but that's not our way in rugby league. No, we, we go with a controversy. Mm. I, I am staggered that Josh Adokar's not there. And I stand by... I've, had, I've done my breakfast show this morning with Greg Alexander, who's part of the squad. We had Brad Fittler. The coach coming to Brandy's broadcasting from the hotel room of the squad. So, you know, Freddie's walked in and I, I grilled Freddie. But I just think Josh Adokar, three series wins from four the last four years, has scored 10 tries in 12 Origin games. Only two players have scored more tries in the history of the Blues. Adokar, I think, deserved to still be given another chance and would be... Uh, a far more potent player than the one that is currently finds himself out on the wing playing for the bottom-placed Bulldogs. I would have backed Adokar to lift in the Origin Arena and produce better numbers than he has for the Bulldogs this year. Um, so I feel very sorry for him. Uh, the others, yeah, Jake Trebrovich, yeah, I, I can understand him uh, not being picked. The middle forwards like Yo and uh, and Murray are just better players now. Uh Angus Crichton may have had a case against the likes of a Tarek Sims and a Tyson Frizzell, but that was a pretty close go. Adokar's the surprise admission. Um, New South Wales set to go with uh, rookie centres in Katoni Staggs and Stephen Crichton. I think because they've got the rookie centres where some people thought Nico Hines would be 14, I think Jack Whiten will get 14 because he's then back up for the young centres. Um, but the rest, it's a, it's a very strong squad. And today they will, mm. well, they will have to confirm... 1-18, to 18. so you know the four players from that squad who can go back and play for their teams this week, and Queensland have to do the same today. They have to pick squads of 22 because of COVID, but then they have to declare their 1-18 to 18 straight away. What about Billy Slater's mob, the Maroons? Oh, the, the wingers excite me. Selwyn Cobbo, I don't know whether I'm as excited about any young player in the game. There's lots of really good young players, like Xavier Savage down in Canberra is great, but Selwyn Cobbo, Smithy, is so good. If you are not tuning into a Broncos game at the moment, you are missing out on watching an absolute superstar emerge. Selwyn Cobbo is so damn good. And I think down the track, and all the good judges say he'll end up fullback. But at the moment, we're watching him play on the wing. 
and now he's going to go into the Origin Arena. And everyone I've spoken to, you know, your Corey Parker and Cameron Smith, oh, yeah, he'll handle it. Don't worry about the birth certificate, the 19 years of age. Um, it's really exciting. I'm really looking forward to Selwyn Cobbo as much as any other aspect of Origin, watching him play uh, next week in, in game number one. He'll, he'll be a very exciting element uh, for the uh, Queensland side on debut. And, and lots of Cowboys. We could have as many as six Cowboys in the squad of 22. They won't all play, but um, just goes to show that, that that'll be great for the Cowboys to have those players like Nanai, possibly Tom Dearden in the squad, getting that Origin experience. Vossi, great to catch up with you. A review of the weekend. Uh, look forward to a Monday when we can talk a little bit more positive, positively about our team. But we, we live in hope. Have a great week, mate. Uh, look forward to uh, your calls coming up this weekend as well. Thank you. Yeah, I'd love to be talking in a positive fashion because I've seen the best of the Warriors and I've been lucky enough to call the best of the Warriors and sadly Saturday was a long way short of that. And by the way, I'll leave you with this. How the hell does a side win four matches and lose ten and play finals football? Thank you. Highlanders, good luck. Okay. Good luck. Thank you very much. Yeah, that question's been asked over here too. Have a great week, my friend. Uh, Andrew Voss there from our uh, brother station across the Tasman. It is 11.23 here on SENZ. We'll be back shortly with a a couple of texts. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, we've had some good texts in this morning regarding Stephen Olker's wonderful performance. Of course, now the senior PGA champion for 2022. First uh, on the seniors tour to be a, a major champion uh, since Bob Charles. Sir Bob Charles. That's how good Stephen Ock is going at the moment. He is 50. Uh, he is in absolutely superb condition. Uh, he's playing the game at the peak of his powers and God knows how much money he's going to make. 630k US in the bin this morning as, uh, as well as so many exemptions going forward. It doesn't matter. Good on you Stephen Alcott. You're a true champion. Uh, Mike has come in and said, the arrogance of New Zealand cricket management knows no bounds. Lack of respect to senior players eight weeks out from the Commonwealth Games, unnecessarily blooding too many inexperienced players in a major competition, apparently not including the new coach and key squad decisions, taking international cricket away from New Zealand's largest catchment area, not to mention eliminating a big chunk of the sporting audience. A good management team would have shown some respect and extended a few of those key contracts whilst the New Bloods gain much more needed exposure to the heat of international Commonwealth game, at the Commonwealth Games. Money is apparently not an issue. Maybe time to end the contracts at the very top. Enjoying the programme. Cheers, Mike. Well, thanks very much, Mike. Uh, some terrific uh, observations there. I think uh, you've, you've hit the, the old nail on the proverbial on, on a number of those issues there. I, I just can't get my head around how long it's taken to announce a White Ferns coach. Uh, I mean, if this was the Black Caps, people would be going nuts, wouldn't they? Um, if, if you're left in abeyance, just waiting, waiting, waiting around. And then a, you come to this contract process, and we clearly asked uh, Brian Stronach the other day, who's the general manager of the High Performance Centre, uh, who was involved in the process, and he, at no stage did he mention the incoming coach. In fact, he didn't say we had an incoming coach. He said an announcement would be coming in the next week. Well, let's hope it does, because we're running out of time, but... If the incoming coach has no say in the players he's about to deal with, I mean, I was talking to a bloke last night who was, um, uh, we were sort of comparing it to, um, to saying, uh, you've got a builder turning up to build your house and say, well, you're not using your tools, you're using my old ones in the garage. I mean, because that's the way the rules are. You can't 
you don't get a say in what you use to build the house. I'll say what you use. And it, it sort of smirks of that a wee bit. I, I just, I don't understand. I mean, he may well come in, this guy, and, and or girl and, and or lady. I shouldn't say girl, that's disrespectful. Um, so lady might come in and say, look, here, here's the thing. Uh, look, we, we, we want Amy Satterthwaite. I want Amy Satterthwaite. I, I want Leotahu who opening the bowling for me. I don't think they're finished. I think they can offer, in the short term, offer me a lot so I can get my, t- my team, my system underway on a front foot. Uh, I'm not sure I want to have a lot of youngsters coming in who haven't played a lot of international cricket on the international stage. Now, they've, they've announced quite a busy program coming up for women's cricket and one-day cricket and T20 cricket. So there's plenty to look forward to, but you want to be doing well at it. You, you sort of do. Um, and uh, we're in a situation there which I'm not sure about. I really am not sure about. And, and, and Frankie Mackay, I thought she did enough in the World Cup to say, well, I, I should be around for another 12 months at least because when it came to the crunch, she, she was the one that took a lot of it um, on her shoulders to try and get us through difficult situations. Uh, we weren't able to do it oh, too often. That's the problem. But it is odd that, you know, the incoming coach had no say, apparently, because that's what they told us the other day. Very strange indeed. Gosh, it's, uh, it's 11.32 here on SENZ. Uh, it is time for a belated news. And then, of course, please ring us, 0800 150811. 0800 150811. Let's play Stump Smithy for the first time this week. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it is time for Stumped by Smithy. And producer Logan's back in the chair after uh, a few days battling some sickness there, Smithy. Not COVID. There are other bugs that are out there floating around. But, hey, it's good to be back. Good to be back. Tell the the Prime Minister that, that you (laughs) you can get crook. Will you? Oh, no, she's sorry. She's in America. And sorry... I, I mean, you know, I should have said more the Director of Health. Sorry. Sorry about that, uh, Logan. Matt, move on on. Yeah, I don't have a direct line to <laughs> just in there, unfortunately. Uh, okay. up, up for grabs today is a $50 TAB bonus bet plus some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. Try New Zealand Sleep Drops for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges. Always read that label and take as directed and check out sleepdrops.co.nz. First of the crease for us today, Smithy, we have Gareth. Gareth from Christchurch. Come in, mate. G'day guys, how you going? Yeah, doing good, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Nice. Radio Gareth, this is a, the challenge of all challenges. Uh, this, uh, by the way, Crusaders this weekend, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think they're um, an autopilot on, uh, on the weekend. I think they'll, they'll turn it up for the finals. Okay, good man. Okay, right, uh, what are we looking at today in terms of our categories, Logan? You can never knock the, the confidence there in Canterbury, can you? Uh, the categories today are cricket, baseball, and soccer football. Take your pick, Gareth. Oh, cricket would be usually my go-to because it's my sport, but coming up with is a bit risky. But um, uh, you know what, why not? Let's, let's go for cricket. All right, there's that confidence again. All right, first question for you, Gareth. Lockie Ferguson bowled the fastest delivery of the IPL season in the final for the Gujarat Titans. What speed was that ball clocked at? Ooh, I think I remember hearing this. It was around, I think it was up around the 160. might have been just down. So about 100, it was about 157. Oh, you know what? 
I'm gonna I'm gonna give that I'm gonna give that uh, just purely for the fact that it was 157 point three I don't know if Smithy would you have gone the point three or would you have just gone well, round the numbers I, I would have if I would if I was on the receiving end I'd like everything put into it to be fair but uh, of that 157.3 but <laughs> hey look it's Monday generous good bloke yeah we'll give it to him mate shall All we right. yeah Gareth good on you boy you're All through right. okay, uh, okay. <laughs> second question for you Gareth keeping with Lockie Ferguson here He's only played one test for New Zealand back in 2019. Who was it against? Uh, what year did you say it was? 2019. 2019. Ooh, I have to say... Oh, the touring team coming over, I don't think. Actually, it might have been Australia because there was an injury to Trent Bolton I talked about whether it should be Australia, I'm not sure, but I think it was Aussie. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. And look, that kind of logic there, as you worked it out on the spot, that was that was not Googling at all. That was pulling that right from the back of your memory. Smithy? Well, I was absolutely right, and I can see his logic there, because he's right, it was, but he was the one that got injured, actually. Gareth, that's the reason he's only played one. He broke down uh, on the first morning of the Test match. First morning of the Test match against uh, Australia at Optus Stadium in severe heat. He did a calf muscle, and we didn't see him back, and haven't seen him back in the Test arena since. So, uh, and that, uh, right. of course, didn't help our cause on that fateful tour. But yeah, well, you got it right. It was a it, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That's right. Yeah, Australia. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, well, you you miss seeing him there. There, yeah, and you miss seeing us play there as well. Unfortunately. Uh, Gareth, uh, question three. What have we got going, Logan? Uh, this this is an interesting story. Uh, this one's for you, Gareth. Here we go. Which former England Test captain was bowled out last week by a 15-year-old seamer in a club match? Oh, okay. That's pretty obscure. Um, oh, I'm guessing we're talking... Uh, I'll be thinking someone like... Maybe have to be a few years ago. I'll go. Um, I'll go. Alistair Cook. He's, he'd probably be someone who's still playing a bit of club cricket or something. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Uh, sure was. Yep. Sir Absolutely. Alistair Cook. Sir, Sir Alistair Cook these days. Yeah, and a lot of people saying his form's been that good in county cricket this year that he could. Um, be perhaps on the comeback list, but uh, we're told through the grapevine that that absolutely will not be the case, and certainly not in Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes' initial selection. But uh, talking of good form, you're in it this morning, Gareth. Outstanding performance. So not only do you win the uh, sleep drops, uh, you win the TAB voucher as well. Uh, congratulations on an excellent start to your week and to our week on Stump Smithy. Have a good week, mate. Thanks, boys. Thank you. Cheers, uh, Gareth there from Christchurch. Stay on the line and uh, Robbie will get your details from you this morning and uh, we'll make sure we get uh, those things out to you as quick as we possibly can. It is uh, coming up to uh, 11.41 here on SENZ. Uh, We'll be back very shortly. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Oh, 
wow, okay, breaking news, and this is news, folks, that I don't even know about, so there you go, so uh, usually this is in the hands of the producer, and of course the producer is Logan Swinkles. Logan, I see you've got your laptop there, what's up? Oh, this is huge news for Rugby Sevens fans, Smithy, this came through to us during Stumped, actually. International Sevens is set to return to Hamilton this summer, with the Blackfern Sevens and All Black Sevens out to defend their respective titles when the HSBC New Zealand Sevens lights up FMG Stadium on the 21st and 22nd of January next year. How good is that? It signals the end of a two-year absence due to the pandemic and the resurrected Auckland event, which will uh, which sees a return of World Rugby Sevens schedule after missing 21 and 22 series, will feature a full men's and women's draw with all matches live and exclusive on Sky. So it's going to be an epic party in Hamilton, Smithy. That's great news. Well, how good is that? Uh, that on the news that overnight uh, our men's sevens team lost to Australia 19-14. So that'll gladden their hearts. Uh, they'd beaten Ireland uh, 17-7 and Fiji 22-19. Probably thought they'd done the hard work. Uh, and then they went to, and uh, lost to Australia in the final. So unfortunate for them. But people will be absolutely lining up at the gates in Hamilton. Uh, for sure, because not only the men, but our world champion, Olympic champion women's side on full display there. What an incentive for them to come home and play there. So that is absolutely wonderful news. Uh, on the subject of uh, rugby performances over the weekend, it, uh, a lot of people um, probably will realise now that Lara Schell are the uh, inter-European champions, they're champions of Europe. Uh, they beat Leinster at the weekend in a cliffhanger. Uh, beating them 24-21. And part of that uh, La Rochelle performance, normally it would be uh, Tawira Kerbalo would have been there, Victor Vito would have been there, but both of them were out injured. So the only New Zealander playing in that group was, of course, Ohio West uh, out of Hawke's Bay, out of uh, New Zealand Maori, Highlanders fame, Blues fame, of course, as well. Um, and he was uh, at 10 for uh, La Rochelle. Uh, he kicked uh, four out of four as... Uh, uh, he went on to win and uh, scored in the last minute, actually, and uh, he kicked the goal. So that was against the odds. Leinster were the warm favourites going into that. Uh, and so for Ronan O'Gara, his first season in charge of La Rochelle, uh, former Irishman, of course, uh, and he had a time, too, where he learnt a lot of good stuff at the Crusaders. So there's Kiwi connections all the way through here. So Ohio West on the field of play, but the season, of course, also. Victor Vito is the normal captain of the side in uh, Tawira. Kerbalo, of course, is playing some outstanding rugby, has been for La Rochelle for quite some time. So great news there. And I think at some stage this week we'll try and get hold of Ohio West because that is a huge achievement. He, incidentally, uh, will just finish this season with La Rochelle and then he moves to a three-year deal with Toulon. So staying in France to further his career. Uh, and the other news that we talked about, and I think you've got a couple of clips there, Logan, was the cricket. Uh, of course, the Black Caps going down to the county selection I won't say they went down to it because it's not a cricket match when one side plays 17 players and the other plays 11 or 12. So uh, that's crazy. And I, I doubt the, 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 the feeling about those. It's just like an open wicket practice for me against different bowlers. I would rather you had competitive edge of a game of cricket going into a test match. That would be my thinking. Uh, and a game of cricket that actually meant something. But it, as it was, it didn't go so good for us. And is it Matt Henry you've got... Um, some comments from Matt Henry? Yeah, Matt Henry. No, it didn't go so well for us. Uh, but I guess the one thing here is, you know, it's New Zealand, the Black Caps, getting used to the conditions over, over there. And this is what Matt Henry had to say about that. 
Yeah, um, I suppose dealing with another slope and another angle, which has been fun. Um, so no, I think that's the beauty of coming here in England is each ground has their their special special things, and and, and here's no different. So I think the guys adapted well, and yeah, I think it's been great to have a couple of weeks here playing. Um, but I think everyone's had their eye on that first test for a while now, and I think everyone's looking forward to getting to London and and getting the preparation underway. Well, I wasn't privy to watching any of the footage there, and I'm not quite sure how the guys were bowling. It's all very well to get a few overs under your belt or some, what do they call it, loading these days, uh, and, and to get yourself ready for a test match. But you need to be actually bowling well as as well as, as that going into a first test of anything. So Lord's uh, very, very good uh, pitch to play for all facets of the game, actually. That'll bring seam bowling into it, swing bowling. Certainly the batsmen will have their time there as well and the spinners will have uh, an, ad, uh, an advantage at some game as, at some times of the game as well. So I'm expecting that they will pick Ajaz Patel out of that lot. Uh, but where they're going to have the mix of the other seamers, I do not know. And how they're going to... I think the Gronholms probably assert the bat at seven, uh, which means do you play Jamison at eight? Is Jamison bowling well enough? Has he, has he rehabilitated well enough after taking um, the uh, IPL off this time around? So do you play... Kyle Jamison. Uh, would Trent Bolt even be a factor? Uh, I think he even came home or was coming home after the IPL. Or he, certainly he hasn't played Red Bull cricket for a long time and his loads have got to be down uh, in that respect. Uh, you, you look at um, Sim Saudi, I think he's a given. Of course, in Lords, he'll be very, very good. Um, and, and then you, you look at who's going to bowl with him. Is Wags, Neil Wagner going to be there? Matt Henry, the guy that uh, seems to do a lot of the press conferences at the moment is the senior bowler. So I wonder where Matt Henry will be involved at Lords. Uh, that's an interesting. I think the batting's sort of down to De Gronholm at seven is pretty well sussed. The bowling side of it, very, very interesting indeed. Right, uh, it's 11.51, coming up 11.52. Just time for a quick chat before uh, with Staffy before he takes over at the helm of the ship at midday. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And thank you, Polaris, for being our best friends on uh, the morning show between 9 and 12, which is about to come to an end. Uh, Mark Stafford's going to take over. Just a quick text uh, from Simon. Top two inches, the Warriors have never had it. That's a fairly simple text coming in. Um, Staffy, so uh, what did you, well, what did I say? What, what, what was your highlight of the weekend? That wouldn't have been. So what was your highlight of the weekend? Uh, probably the Super Rugby game in Fiji, Smithy. The mm-hmm. atmosphere was unbelievable. I absolutely loved it. And nothing against the Chiefs fans, but I would have loved the Fijian Drua to finish the season on a win, much like Moana Pacifica did. Um, geez, it was good. I, just, I couldn't take my eyes off it. And that last 15 minutes was unbelievable. Yeah, look, I, I, I watched the first one. I didn't get to see the second one. I saw the first one in Suva, and that was enough <laughs> for me. But uh, just, I mean, uh, you know, it's just been such a good story. It was threatened to be a disastrous story if they were going to get flogged week after week, both those two sides. I include Moana Pacifica there. But this weekend, you know, you're, you're remembered by your last performance. They're fond memories of their introductory season for me. Yeah, same here. And that's that's the subject of Midday Madness, actually, Smithy. Nice little dovetail into that. I want to get people's reaction to the inclusion of these two Pacific Island teams. I thought they have brought 
immense credit to themselves and their countries and have really franked the decision to get them involved. They're only going to get stronger, Smithy, as players will return from the Northern Hemisphere. I assure you some big names will come down south and take part representing their people. And I just thought, just on and off the field, they were just so good, so, so good. Mm, a great image, absolutely great image, bringing people back to the game. Uh, not just in New Zealand either. Um, Steph, uh, this afternoon, apart from midnight, Midday Madness, what have you lined up? Uh, first of all, well, after one, we're going to cross to Maddie White, our SEN co-host over there. That's just after one. Uh, I've got a TBC here, uh, Moana Pacifica player. Um, we've gone out to three of them, haven't heard back. Uh, bearing in mind, it is Mad Monday, Smithy. It is Mad Monday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. It is. So it is. hopefully Uh-oh. we'll have one confirmed. We've got Dan Talentire. He's a writer for NRL.com on the weekend's action. And Bob McMurray is going to talk to us about the Indy 500 and uh, the the fateful race of Scott Dixon. So close, but so far. Yeah, it was so close so far. Two, time, two years in a row, actually. Mm. Uh, last year, miscalculation. This time, going too quick in pit lane. Simple as that. Staff, have a great afternoon. Uh, look forward to that. Um, on a successful day for New Zealand golf in particular. Not quite for Foxy, but certainly for Stephen Alka. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks for your job this morning. Arawa, and to you, Logan, as well. Welcome back. Good stuff. Thank you. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.